Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. To those of you here in the audience in Oslo and to those of you watching at home, thank you for joining us for this conversation. We're going to be talking about Shireen Abu Akleh. On the 11th of May, 2022, she was shot in the head and killed. She was at the Janine refugee camp in the occupied West Bank, where she was reporting on an arrest raid by the Israeli Defense Forces. Her group were clearly identifiable as journalists. She was wearing the blue vest with press written in big letters. There was no warning shot. In brief, Israeli forces said they had not fired at Abu Akleh. A number of independent investigations, including the UN High Commission for Human Rights, concluded they did. Israeli forces then said that firing at her was accidental. Investigative journalists have called it a targeted Israeli killing. Israeli police officers then attacked pallbearers at Shireen's funeral. It was violence condemned by the group of 15 Christian churches of the Holy Land as a severe violation of international norms. The US Department of Justice, the FBI, opened an investigation into her killing and its results are still awaited. Those are the facts in brief. Independent journalist Dalia Hatuka was a close friend and colleague of Shireen Abu Akleh. Like her, she's Palestinian-American. I want us to begin, Dala, our conversation with uh, Shireen in life. If you were a Palestinian family sitting down to watch the news of an evening, Shireen Abu Akleh comes on screen. What are you seeing? Um, first of all, I, I want to start off by saying that um, to tell the story of Shirin is to tell the story of Palestine, which is um, a story of courage, uh, strength, and resilience in the face of um, many indignities of living under um, Israeli occupation. Um, Shirin was known um, as a lot of things. Uh, she was a symbol for w many women who came of age in 1997 uh, when Shirin first joined Al Jazeera. Uh, she was called a trailblazer. She was called um, a hero. Uh, but above all, she was a journalist. And she was Palestinian through and through. And that's the driving force behind her work, her motivation, her will to tell the stories uh, nobody else wanted to tell. Um, I would say that uh, Shirin was devoted to covering not just uh, the conflict, but she, she documented um, so many things, um, the invasions of Palestinian towns and villages, um, uh, home demolitions, child incarcerations, um, she bore witness to Israel's military rule, uh, which many human rights groups and the UN have called an apartheid system, basically a system that favors uh, a set of people over another. Um, the thing about Shirin is that she switched her major from architecture to 
uh, journalism because, as we saw in the video, she wanted to be closer to the people. She wanted to convey their voice and their message. Um, she was very calm and collected under... You worked with her, didn't you, in the field? Yes, and honestly, it was such a relief to work with her because, because she was calm and collected. Um, we would be getting shot at or we would be getting um, tear gassed and she would not be frantic. Um, she knew how to remain calm. She knew how to keep herself and her team safe. Uh, she never put herself or her team in harm's way. She didn't want to be a martyr. Um, she, she wasn't a diva, even though she was a media darling. Um, but, you know, she knew the West Bank like the back of her hand, uh, the alleyways, the refugee camps, the towns and the cities. Um, and that's why the day she was killed, it, it was a horrible day. And um, I remember that there was something that struck me um, that day, which was uh, an Israeli military spokesperson said that Shirin and her team were armed excuse me, with cameras. And it was a statement that to me revealed that Israeli authorities basically viewed uh, Palestinian journalists who documented uh, human rights violations as a danger. Armed with cameras. Yes. Yeah. You said she knew the alleyways, the refugee camps, the towns, the cities, and from all of those places, people were still to watch her funeral. And the numbers who came out onto the streets for her funeral were immense. Just give us an idea of that, because it, her funeral became a national moment. Absolutely. Her funeral was unlike anything I've, I've seen since the second intifada in 2001 or 2002, um, when a very uh, beloved Palestinian politician um, had died and thousands of people gathered and went to Jerusalem. And uh, it was a testament to how well-loved and well-respected she was. Uh, thousands of people came out on the streets. Uh, her casket was taken on the backs of young men and women and uh, every single town wanted to hold on to her um, casket, uh, which was draped with a Palestinian flag and um, her press uh, uh, vest. And the, the images that day of how Israeli security beat the mourners uh, beat the pallbearers and uh, basically snatched every Palestinian flag they could find, uh, even from the hearse. It just, it tore me to pieces. It was like she was killed all over again. And there was so much lack of dignity and respect for her. But to me, it felt like um, in life as in death, Shirin was bearing witness to these violations that happened on a daily basis. Can we talk more about the bearing witness? Because I want to, in the minutes we've got left, talk to you about the immediate impact for you and others trying to cover the Palestinian story. But also, 
how you've had to perhaps change your practice, what you do, how you think about safety. So in the days afterwards, the shock of this, but then you've got to keep on reporting. Absolutely. In the, in the days after she was killed, I, I think in, within six days, I must have done 26 or 30 interviews and I, I had to float. I had to do what I could to kind of survive and, and that was to bury myself in work. But at the same time, um, as the days went by, I, I honestly started to be scared. I, I stopped... Um, I hesitated before going into the field. I started um, calling friends or leaving WhatsApp messages telling them where I am. I started going with other colleagues into the field if I had to. Uh, there was definitely a chilling effect. Uh, and do you think that's persisted? Absolutely. Till this day, I mean, there, there were things that we used to do at the beginning. I would say there's the pre-Shireen killing and the post. And before her killing, we always made sure that if we go to a place where there's a raid or um, a demonstration and the Israeli um, forces are there, we would make sure to show ourselves to stand even next to them so that they know we're there. And now none of us want to do that anymore. We're kind of thinking, oh, it's best not to show that you're a journalist because... And, and that is such a change because she had the press vest, she had the ID, she had the dual citizenship, none of it saves her. No, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, ultimately, when you're Palestinian, nothing else trumps that. And the fact that you are American or anything is, does not give you more rights than anybody else because you're ultimately Palestinian. So, you and your colleagues, the... the journalists, the camera crews, everyone who's trying still to tell these stories. In practical terms, what do you do? I mean, how, how do you train or how are things changing? Um, there are a lot of things that we're doing right now. Um, we're trying to um, basically regroup, uh, do some training, uh, first aid, uh, do some... Um, other kinds of training to kind of improve our situation in the field. But uh, I mean, to be honest with you, ultimately, in the back of our minds, we're thinking, okay, I have my flak jacket on, I have my, you know, the press written all over it, I've got my helmet, but Shirin was killed by a bullet that went through the, the few centimeters between uh, where her um, vest was and where her helmet was. And that's a very precise and deliberate manner in which she was killed. So for us, it's almost like we know that we have a bullseye on our, t uh, you know, target on our backs. And it's, it's a very heavy load to carry when you're out in the field. And I should say there's only in the last uh, few weeks there's been a report out from the Committee to Protect Journalists looking at the killing of Shireen Abu Akleh, which it says is part of a deadly decades-long pattern. CPJ has documented over 22 years at least 20 journalist killings by members of the IDF. 18 of those were Palestinian. Two were European foreign correspondents. There were no Israelis. 
given those facts, for those who want to be in the field, for those who want to report, they, they must, you must have fear, and your families have fear for you, more so now than ever. Absolutely. I mean, even before this, I, I would never dare to go out the house without telling my mom where I was going. Um, but now it's a matter of life and death. You tell everybody you know, you, um, you ensure you have um, a tribe, basically, so, uh, you know, a tribe of journalists that have your back. You never go alone. You don't go after dark. Um, and yet, in the current journalism industry, more and more of us are freelancers. It's hard to have someone to have your back. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a freelancer, and as an independent journalist, I get many emails from my editors being like, uh, listen, if you want to do this out of Ramallah in the West Bank, which tends to be more calm or calmer than other cities, um, then we totally understand because we can't protect you. And if you then take the decision, well, today it's too dangerous, too risky to go, what does that end up doing to the narrative, to the story that the rest of us get to see and hear? Honestly, the, the narrative is mostly dictated by whatever the uh, IDF spokesperson is saying, because ultimately that is the first, um, um, the first person that speaks up about any incident. And then when you get there, when you get to the incident, things are, you know, are different. Uh, the person who was killed is long gone, taken away. Sometimes bodies are snatched and they're not given back to their loved ones. And so there's very little you can do. You can go speak to the families, obviously, um, but sometimes there's fear in the, in the families as well, especially if their homes are about to be demolished or, you know, if the parents are taken or any of that sort. So the chilling effect, it, also has a, it has a ripple effect as well. So not just on us, but on the families, on the community. Um, it, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult situation to work in. It calls perhaps for even more bravery by, from people like these, you know, citizens who want to stand up, who want to witness when they see that wrong is being done. Um, and, and that, that's difficult, isn't it? But citizen journalism, I suppose, is part of where we are as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like in the West Bank now, um, you see a rise in citizen journalism because, you know, everybody has, um, or a lot of people have uh, smartphones. And so because we can't be there everywhere, um, sometimes you see these videos that pop up uh, on social media of uh, people who have do documented uh, atrocities, basically. And uh, that's both important, but at the same time, it's also scary for these people because um, they are subjected to a lot of pressure from Israeli authorities. They are hounded, uh, they're um, asked to turn over whatever footage they have. It could be anything. And so even citizen journalists uh, have an issue with, um, with dealing with such a situation. A, a lot has changed. The death of Shireen had such an impact. I just want to give you a final word about what it's appropriate for us to remember about her. 
So it's hard to overstate just how well-loved Shirin was, um, not just in the Middle East, but all over the world. Um, how much she meant to a lot of people, to us as friends and family. Uh, we miss her, we miss her infectious laugh, her wit, her kindness, uh, her inspiring work. Um, but I think that to honor her is for us to continue, basically, and to uh, keep demanding justice and accountability, um, not just from the soldier, but also from the system that killed her. Dahlia Hatuka, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.